Hello, welcome to Two Broke Nerds, two friends talking about whatever they want, because what else are we going to do in a pandemic? I'm Alec Kerr, I'm a film geek. And I'm Brian McElhenney, and I'm a music geek. Uh, and we're back, talking about the Tolkien films, and last week we did Lord of the Rings, now we're getting into the, I guess we'll call them the bad ones, uh, The Hobbit, the three-part, nine-hour adaptation of The Hobbit. Yeah, Peter Jackson's version of prequels. Yeah, they, they are prequels. So yeah. they are prequels, and that's the that's the biggest issue is that yes, The Hobbit technically is a prequel to Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings was a sequel to The Hobbit, but it was The Hobbit was a standalone story, and so Peter Jackson spent a lot of time like sewing these things in to make it a direct prequel to his Lord of the Rings adaptation, and it doesn't work. Uh, not only standalone story it's, it's a totally different genre it's it's a it's a fairy tale it's a children's fairy tale it's a story that tolkien told his kids as a bedtime story and it it, it doesn't match with the high fantasy of uh lord of the rings but Tol uh, but uh, jackson tried to do that anyway because that was kind of the expectation right and, and originally Guillermo del toro was supposed to do it and he was going to do it as a fantasy, he was going to do a completely different aesthetic and was going to go in a completely different direction. And it wasn't necessarily Peter Jackson that that wanted it to go in the other direction. It was the studio that was like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have it look like a different film altogether. Uh, we need to have it match up. And Peter Jackson didn't even want to direct it. He kind of had his hand forced and it was just like, well, we're going to make these movies whether or not you're on board or not. So you can direct them or we're going to find somebody else. And it was very obvious that he didn't want to be making these films and he shouldn't have been making the film. Every frame in Lord of the Rings, you see his passion for that book oozing off the screen. Even, even when he fucked stuff up, as we talked about last week, it, you can tell this is a man who's passionate about the story, about this book and about getting it on screen as best he can, his version. You don't get that with The Hobbit. No. At least I don't get that feeling. No, and all. there was, I think, 18 months of, of pre-production on Lord of the Rings. And there was only six months on The Hobbit because when Peter Jackson officially signed on to direct, they basically tossed out everything that Guillermo del Toro was, was working on. And he, he was working on it for like a year. And they just tossed all of that out to make it match with Lord of the Rings. And so six months versus 18 months is a huge difference. Right. They didn't give, he didn't get a start over. It was basically just like, it's going to start filming at this date and you better be ready. Yep. Um, so yeah. Where, whereas Lord of the Rings is a Peter Jackson passion project. This was like a, uh, I don't know, has to be made, whatever. Pocket lining thing. I don't know. It was, it was bad. And, and, and they, as I said last week, the Hobbit, uh, you know, even over Lord of the Rings, over any Tolkien work, and over most books, it's one of my favorite books ever. And has been so influential on my life. And just, just to have this be the live action adaptation, is it, it's still upsetting. Yeah, it's, it's so upsetting. And it, what makes it even more upsetting is that there is stuff buried in there that's really, really good. Like the Gollum and Bilbo scene is it's just about as perfect an adaptation for that scene as you could hope for. 
Right. And and again, the the cat the good casting continues with Martin Freeman as as Bilbo. Yeah, he talked about he's perfect. He's absolutely yeah, perfect. About perfect casting, and then they just blew it. I don't know the, the names of the actors in the doors very well, other than Richard Armitage, but who does uh Balin? Because he was great. Oh yeah, no, he's great as well. I don't know his name. Maybe let me look it up. I'm I'm on my computer. I'll I'll I'll, I'll look it up. So much humanity and so much warmth to that character and right. wisdom. And then by the third film, they've totally dropped him. They've just dropped him. Yeah, and I, I actually, uh, I rewatched it, um, but uh, Lindsay Ellis, a YouTube video essayist, did this really great three-part discussion of everything that was wrong with The Hobbit. And she had an interview with the actor that played Owen. Uh, his name was John Callan. And he talked about how when they started... Uh, they felt like this family, that all of the dwarfs were, they had this great camaraderie. And then as production went on, they went from being like primary cast members to what he called basically the most expensive extras in Hollywood. Yeah, I'm going to recommend anyone who's interested in kind of the behind the scenes and especially what that film did to the New Zealand film industry because it kind of fucked it. Mm-hmm. to uh, watch, find Lindsay Ellis on YouTube and, and uh, watch that documentary. It's an award-winning uh, three-part documentary. Yeah, it, it, it's really well um, done and offers a yeah. lot of insights into what went wrong with that film. Yeah, so if anyone's interested in that, uh, and again, it, 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 this film had some massive repercussions on the New Zealand film industry as a whole, um, yeah, definitely go check out those videos. Anything we say about it is not going to match what the research and what she did with that. So. Yeah. Balin, oh, his name is Ken Scott. Mm. Uh, Ken Scott? Ken Scott, yep. Fantastic Oh, wait, sorry, Stout. S-T-O-O-T-T. Ken Stout. Yeah. Good job. Good work. Um, And and Richard Armitage, uh, he is good as Thorin, even though they prettied him up, which that is a, a whole, like, can of worms right there, the fact that they made half the dwarfs pretty. Uh, but yeah. regardless of that, he is really good as Thorin. I, I'd say Martin Freeman. And, well, okay, Martin Freeman and hit. Okay, Thorin and Bilbo's scenes together; those are really good, and they do get to the heart of that dynamic. Those are good. They, the, the the problem with Thorin, and I think the the problem with Richard Armitage's performance, and and it goes back to again the choices Jackson was making. Thorin is not Aragorn. Right, and they Aragorned no. him up big time, and and they had to make him Aragorn to the point where like all the other dwarves are in like hushed awe of him. That's not how it goes down in the books. Thorin is a bumbling asshole. He's a yeah. bumbling assholeish idiot, and the other dwarves treat him as such. It's he's not like this great king or anything like that. They're they're thirteen dwarves who are down on their luck and trying to get their home back. They're not concerned with you know yeah the shit that they're concerned with in the film yeah fair but given what he was given uh he is good i particularly did like uh the whole dragon sickness thing and his his gold fever i thought that was handled fairly well yeah for for what it was (laughs) again just jackson adding shit to the story that makes no sense right in terms of issues with the film what was done with thorn are the is the least of my problems like it was a choice it was trying to force it to be aragorn 
it it works well enough. But like other things in that film, like the forced love triangle uh, and this made up terrarial or whatever her name was uh, being forced in and forcing Legolas in that shit can just get the fuck out. Yeah, that was just awful. All of that was just, it just, uh, God, it, uh, I, I didn't even like, it, it's, it's difficult to talk about this as a Hobbit adaptation because it's so not. Like there's pieces of it that are, but like even the pieces that are good get ruined by some clunky choice or some, something trying to tie it into this bigger story that doesn't come to fruition. Like, right. The whole idea of it, of Sauron making an appearance in The Hobbit it undermines the Lord of the Rings. The fact that Ian McKellen essentially meets or is aware of Sauron's existence in The Hobbit completely undercuts him being all bewildered and confused by his return at the beginning of Fellowship. Right, yeah, none of that shit makes sense. It's confusing. And making the, the Battle of Five Armies a mini fight against Sauron completely misses the point of what the Battle of Five Armies is supposed to be. Right. Well, that, that again, that, and this goes back to Peter Jackson's obsession with having elongated battles on screen. And, like, the Battle of Five Armies is, like, in the book, entirely told from Bilbo's perspective. And Bilbo hates war. So Bilbo's just sitting there going, like, this is stupid, and then he gets knocked out. That's the Battle of Five Armies in the book. Right. And he's like, I don't understand this. Why are they fighting? They're, they're just all greedy assholes. Fuck them. You know, and if, you're right. Every time they do something good, there's a good choice. It's immediately canceled out by a bad choice. Right. The death scene of Thorin and Bilbo there is actually pretty affecting. But then it's immediately undercut by Teriel or whatever the fuck her name is, getting all weepy because the fucking dwarf she had a crush on died. And it's like, what the fuck? Oh, God. Yeah, that whole... I just... I. I you've been talking about that more than me because I can't even think of anything to say about it. It's that stupid. It's just, yeah. it's that much like, I don't want this a part of my Hobbit movie that I just black it out. It's just like, oh God. You mentioned the scene with uh, Gollum and Bilbo and that's perfect. And that might be the only perfect scene in the films because they undermine scenes. Yeah. Like the the scene with the uh, the trolls that comes really early in the Hobbit. It's one of my favorite scenes. Like with the, with the bumbling uh, <laughs> bumbling English working class trolls that never show up in Tolkien's Legendarium ever again. It's another like holdover from when this was just a goofy story that Tolkien would tell and not part of the Middle Earth thing. But but anyway, so in the book, Bilbo uh, gets caught by the by the trolls, and then the trolls find the dwarves and they capture the dwarves. In the movie, because these are like, I don't know, like super fighty Aragorn dwarves, they're like evenly matched. And they almost beat the trolls. And it's like, it, it totally takes away what the scene is. Right. And then there's no reason for them to be captured and stuffed in bags like they are in the film. Because they, they basically kick the trolls' asses. I forgot what contrivance they did to like get them to where they needed to be. But it, it was dumb. It was just... Yeah, again, taking a scene that could have been really good and ruining it. Right, because that's supposed to be the first time Bilbo proves himself, and he doesn't really even get to do that. Right. And then, like, Bayorn. Awesome to finally see Bayorn on screen in some adaptation. And that entire sequence is salvageable, because you have Bayorn talking a whole bunch of nonsense about, like, 
whatever that CGI monstrosity of an orc was that was chasing them around for no reason. Right. And yeah. another... beyond no reason, that character died like a century before this shit even happened. Like it, it's like, yeah. Yeah, the whole uh, the whole addition of the the white orc, basically just so there is an adversary to have them fight, so that they can break it up into three parts and have like a big bad, is such a addition and so much of a distraction, and yeah. he's inserted so much that you can't even really find a way to edit around him, which is just right. frustrating. Right, it's like they needed uh, again, and it's like, and it kind of goes back to. I know, I don't know, but it's like they needed a villain. They needed some kind of villain to carry it through three movies, I guess. And it's not the story that needs a villain. Like the villain yeah. is greed and and pettiness and and the flaws of humanity. That's the villain. And it's not like you don't have action beats throughout that story. It's a very episodic story, and there are little adventures that break up the story arc and just focus on those little episodes and you're fine. Again, going from what the story originally started as, which was a bedtime story that Tolkien told to his kids. Of course it's episodic because he tells little stories to them every night. Like, and, it, and, and these little the episodes are incredibly entertaining. Just do those. That's how it's set up. And honestly, it, it, the Hobbit lends itself better to a television series or a miniseries more than it does to a film because of that. Yeah, I mean, you could do it in in half-hour episodes, and it would be fine. Because there is an overarching plot, but it's not, like, the focus of everything. They go on a series of adventures. It's episodic adventures. Every chapter is its own little story. And it is very telling, like we were talking about last week, that the 70s animated version is able to do a successful adaptation in 70 minutes. And here you have this giant three film behemoth that's like nearly 10 hours long. And it's not even half the film that that 70 minute cartoon was. Right, you can read The Hobbit, the book, in less time than it takes to watch those films and have a far better time doing it. I mean, Andy Serkis, I think he read it aloud just this past weekend in like 12 hours, but still, <laughs> that that is still going to be more enjoyable than sitting through this 10-hour crap yeah and and he was reading out loud I'm, I'm sure you can read these faster than that film oh absolutely fast. and he was doing voices and and being awesome because he's Andy Serkis yeah even when they do something right like the smog scene is done fairly well in terms of Benedict Cumberbatch's smog and Martin Freeman still being great but it's intercut with this fight with Lake Town and if it had just been left alone as one self-contained scene like the Gollum ones it actually would have been pretty good right well you know with a, a misplaced lines about Sauron removed here and there well yeah again it's just like you can't even like I have thought about like how could someone recut this into the actual Hobbit into the actual story and it's not possible just because no. of the choices they made. They made these awful choices that ruin scenes that they can't be repurposed. They can't be cut together in a different way because, yeah. I'd have a hard time coming up with a, a Hobbit film based on this footage that goes beyond the Gollum Bilbo scene. Yeah. I would say of the three films, at least tonally, 
the one that gets closest is an unexpected adventure or journey. Um, it, because it does at times feel like the Hobbit. The, the scene with all the dwarfs arriving with the exception of Thorin showing up and being a badass uh, feels like the book and them singing their song. It feels like the book. But then shortly after that, it starts kind of falling apart. Yeah, and it, it's got moments. Like, that's the only one I watched in theaters and I almost walked out. I actually regret not walking out. All that white orc shit is what really slows that film down a lot. That and the stupid prologue that goes on for like 45 minutes before the actual start of the movie. Yeah, like, um, why did we need to have Elijah Wood come back as Frodo as like kind of just a, and, and Ian Holm as Bilbo as like, as a framing device. It's like, no, you don't need a framing device. Awful. Just, oh my God. I mean, as much as I like seeing Ian Holm as Bilbo and Elijah Wood as Frodo, like, it's not needed. It is just completely gratuitous. No, and it just, it didn't work. I mean, they, they clearly look 10 years older. The one thing I will say about these films, that <laughs> since they've been out on DVD and stuff, I, I do watch them. And I found that they're good to put on as noise while I'm working on my comic. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Because they're just noise. Yeah. And then it's like, I can work on my comic and every once in a while look up the screen and yell at it because it's doing something stupid. Yeah, like Super Mario Legolas. Like, yeah. like we were talking about how, you know, Legolas starts getting a little ridiculous by Return of the King. He is full on Super Mario in, in Hobbit. Like jumping all over the place. Like I almost expect him to have like the coin sound effect when he hits a block or something. Right. I don't know what it is, who it is, if it's Peter Jackson or someone else involved with these films who loves Legolas so much, but give it a rest already. Dude was not that important. There's been analyses done of the fellowship by the professors and stuff, people who study his literature and stuff, that have come to the conclusion that Legolas did shit. Legolas was the least productive member of the fellowship. And like, in terms of the films, yes, the Legolas Gimli dynamic is fun but that goes to the credit of the actors and their chemistry together the awesome thing about that with with Gimli and Legolas they they go slightly overboard with making Gimli a comic relief character but but beats that you wouldn't think would be in the books are in the books like the whole where they're counting the number of orcs that they're killing and they're they're uh, they're having a competition with each other verbatim from the books verbatim yeah and that's great stuff and unfortunately Fortunately, or maybe fortunately, by making him so bumbling, he is more dwarf-like in The Lord of the Rings than any of the dwarfs in The Hobbit. Right. It, yeah, it's... Ugh, yeah. Like, what I wouldn't have given to have all of the dwarfs be like Gimli in Lord of the Rings instead of having, like, half of them be pretty boys. Yeah, that whole thing was... Yeah. <laughs> and having the story actually stay focused on the dwarfs instead of all this other stuff because the dwarfs were really well cast and by the time you get to the third film they're not even secondary they're like third or fourth thoughts yeah jackson had a problem uh with just really stereotyping certain groups in the the lord of the rings story as far as like the elves are all holy angelic beings with flowing blonde hair and pointy ears and shit. Right. Like those aren't Tolkien elves. They're really not. They're uh, what I guess 
the general public expects elves to be. But right, because like, you know, the elves in the animated adaptation, they're kind of creepy looking. They're they're a bunch of snobs. Uh that that's that's what they are. They're 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 not like these angelic beings. They're kind of a bunch of dicks. Yeah, they're well they're not they're not funky looking. That's that's not accurate either. They are kind of angelic in the sense that they're like perfected men. They are immortal. Yes. And they are kind of generally more attractive than human beings. But as you said, they're dicks. A lot of them are dicks. They're incredibly arrogant. And, and because yeah. they're immortal, they think they're better than everybody. Yeah. Like back to the Silmarillion, I mean, the reason for a lot of the problems in Middle Earth is because of a certain group of elves that rebelled. So, yeah, that, that's getting deep, deep in the weeds there. But... <laughs> But yeah, like that, and it kind of carries over to the, the dwarves too in Lord of the Rings until the dwarves have to be main characters. And then Jackson decides to, to do this with them. Obviously, he was the director. He was the writer. Um, but a lot of this like doesn't necessarily even fall on Peter Jackson because well, a lot of this was studio mandated stuff. Like uh evangeline lily's character like she was promised it was not going to be a love triangle and then in reshoots they made it a love triangle so if it felt like it was an afterthought it was an afterthought yeah and yeah you can see the studio notes but at the same time i can see all the 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 jacksonisms that were there in lord of the rings and are just pumped up beyond all recognition in the hobbit and as you were saying before the difference is when he was first doing it he was passionate and he cared. And so he was able to find the right balance. This time he didn't really care. And so he was just like, screw it, just do this, throw in all this stuff, you know, whatever. Right. I don't think he's passionate about The Hobbit, which no. is fine. It's, it's a totally different story. It's, I'm far more passionate about The Hobbit than I am about The Lord of the Rings. And that's fine. I, it's, a, it's, it's a different story. I would have loved to have seen uh, Guillermo del Toro's uh, adaptation. I, I love him as a filmmaker, and he yeah. is so good at sort of weird, strange fantasy. It would have been a beautiful film. It would have been a funny, quirky, strange movie. It would have had the fantasy, fairy tale qualities. It's a, it's a real shame we don't get to see that film. I really want to see Guillermo del Toro's Mirkwood. Yeah. I would just be nuts. That that whole stretch in Mirkwood always, I mean, it, it freaked me out as a kid. They were all trapped in the forest. And in the book, it's really explicit. Like, they can't, like, they're suffocating because of how dense this forest is. Like, they're, like, losing their minds and suffocating. And it's just, it's creepy. It's frightening. And that's, and that's the thing. Del Toro is great at doing that horror-tinged fantasy like with like Pan's Labyrinth and things like that. So he really would have been able to find the horror aspects in, in Hobbit and play them just right. If they had like accurately shown how they actually meet the Wood Elves, because like what happens is they're wandering in, in Mirkwood. They're lost. They've lost the path. And they keep seeing these lights and hearing singing and dancing. And so they keep heading towards this. And right as they get to it, it just shuts off. It's like darkness. And so they do this like two or three times and, and until they're, they're so lost. And I, I forget how it eventually happens, but eventually the elves do catch them. 
but like they're they're trying to stumble on these elf parties and like they kept they keep getting stopped because the you know the, they know that they're there and so they just stop everything it's creepy yeah yeah oh the wood elves that's what i was thinking of that they kind of look a little weird was the wood were the wood yeah. elves yeah it's a mess and you know it made a crap ton of money and it just means that we probably won't see another live action adaptation of the hobbit for another decade 20 years 30 i don't know like this exists so like yeah it's uh, unfortunate and again it goes to, i i i used to kind of say that they sh- they made these movies in the wrong order that they should have started with the hobbit so that they could ease people into it but at the same time i mean if you don't if you didn't want to make the hobbit which is what peter jackson clearly didn't want to make the hobbit yeah don't make the hobbit make the lord of the rings it's fine like i i don't yeah and as as much as i love ian mckellen as gandalf and he is great in in the hobbit films um having him be there was probably the impetus to oh well we have to make it fit i mean it's clearly ian mckellen it's the same gandalf so it has to fit within the same universe if they had just done a complete recast they could have made a standalone film yeah, and what it is what it needed to be because there's no way you can't get these two stories to line up. Like Tolkien tried, he tried to rewrite The Hobbit to fit with this, and I think that was the spirit that Jackson was coming from. He said it in interviews, like you know, Tolkien tried to put everything more in line with uh, Lord of the Rings. What he never mentions is that Tolkien stopped because people told him to stop. Because people read his that version of The Hobbit and were like, this is not The Hobbit, you're ruining it. You're ruining the story that people loved, so stop. Yeah, And that's basically what Jackson did and nobody told him to stop. Yeah, just leave it alone. Because you start, when you start like making it match up, like having the one ring, the one ring doesn't have any sort of negative effect. Like, yes, it, it does transform Gollum into Gollum, but there are no indications that it's having any effect on Bilbo at all. So having it line up with Lord of the Rings doesn't make any sense. Right. You, you can't do that. And it, it just, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make sense with the stories. And yeah. And again, that, that's, that's part of why I think that I've said that they've done them in the wrong order. I'm not so sure anymore, but because once you've done the Lord of the Rings, the, the ring in the Hobbit is no longer this innocent thing because, because we know too much. Right, because even like even in that original story, we don't know that Gollum was like a hobbit at any point. He's just this this creature that got his birthday present, and like, so it's not until you get to Lord of the Rings that you find out the backstory of of Smeagol and all of that. Right, and like I mean, uh, Tolkien did do some rewriting of the Hobbit while he was doing Lord of the Rings because once he landed, because he had to decide how is this going to tie into the Hobbit? And he landed on the ring as the tie-in. That's where that came from. So he went and rewrote that entire chapter. And that's where the whole, the whole story about like Bilbo is saying like that, that Gollum had promised to, to give him a present or something like that. You know, the lie that eventually Bilbo tells in the story was the original chapter. Mm-hmm. And Tolkien had to change that to fit with Lord of the Rings. So he was, he was tinkering with it to get it to fit. But there's a certain point where you ju- it just it, it doesn't fit. It just doesn't. So yeah, it was really a, a futile endeavor. And again, it is frustrating because Martin Freeman is really good. Ian McKellen is really good. 
there are individual scenes that work. I do think what was done with, wh- who's the Lake Town guy? Uh, Bard? Bard, yeah. What they did with him was actually pretty interesting because that's a kind of nothing character. Um, and I think that is an example of beefing up a character and making it better. But, yeah, but but, but his, tor- his story is so tied in with that like Wormtongue Jr. guy. Yeah, and he's freaking terrible. That character is the worst. Yeah, and I don't even understand why he's there other than, other than Peter Jackson said, oh, I want another worm tongue. Which doesn't, I don't understand why he'd even want another worm tongue. Why? Yeah, and so again, it's it goes bad. back to every good choice, there's a bad choice. Like, the adaptation, the beefing up of, of Bard is good, but then you tie him to this schmuck of a character. No. Let, let's point out the fact, I've, forget about all the shit that he added in, which, which like he says it's sourced to appendices and stuff. It's not, it's made up. None of that is in any of Tolkien's anything. But if you, if you look at it just strictly the book to movie ratio, the first movie covers about mm, the first 40% of the book, maybe. Yeah. Second movie is like the next half up until, you know, Smog starts attacking Lake Town when that movie ends. Yeah. And then the last movie is based on a chapter, basically. Yeah, it, it, you can tell that it was originally supposed to be two films because you're right, about half of the story is told in the first film. And then, so it's clear that the rest of it was supposed to be done in the second film. And it was like, oh shit, how are we stretching this out for three films? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And... Again, Lindsay Ellis uh, does a much better job of explaining part of the reasons this happened. There were like five different studios involved. So of course they wanted to make more money. And I think part of the deal was that people had investment in the first film, but not the other film. So if you make more films, the other studios that are not invested in the first film can get to keep all that money. Yeah, it was, it was financial bullshit. <laughs> Just, yeah. And I, I guess, again, it goes back to the difference being Lord of the Rings was a passion project. It was a film that if it had failed, it would have bankrupt at New Line Cinema. So it was a film that was made for the love of making a film. And The Hobbit was made for the love of making money. Right. If what had happened, if The Lord of the Rings had failed, if Fellowship of the Ring had failed in theaters then uh, we would have had another, remember uh, when they made the Atlas Shrugged adaptations? Yes. When the first one came out in theaters and then, and then like each one after it, they recast the whole fucking film. Yeah. And it just got worse and worse and worse. Yeah, that's what it would have been. Yeah, it would have been, what happened post Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, because they both started the same year and were huge successes. And so sci-fi fantasy became a huge property in Hollywood. They started making so many potential franchise starters and there's like half a dozen that are just dead in the water after the first film because nobody cared right and i remember i think it was the year before or a couple years before uh dungeons and dragons came out and it was a complete non-starter yeah no it was a disaster and so that's why there was a this real fear of will this lord of the rings thing actually work right it, yeah to think of how what my God, like fantasy, just, <laughs> and I've always been a fantasy geek. So I'm, I'm like thinking back to that and remembering like, yeah, that, 
being starved for this kind of stuff. Yeah, fantasy as a as a film genre was was dead. And if it wasn't for sort of that one two punch of the success of Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, we wouldn't be getting a lot of the the sci fi and fantasy stuff that we get today. This is true. I rem- I remember going to see that Dungeons and Dragons movies in theaters with my friends, and we were we were we were saying to each other, it's like, this is a Lord of the Rings practice run. <laughs> we're just seeing this because it's practice Lord of the Rings when that comes out next year or whatever. Yeah, and that Dungeons and Dragons movie is, is a great, so bad, it's good movie just to like watch yeah. and rip on because it's so terribly, terribly awful. And, but you do have, you do have a terrific campy performance by Jeremy Irons just, eating the scenery like nobody's business. It's like a buffet for him. Oh, God. Anyway, um, we're getting off topic now. But yeah, so uh, as we said last week, Lord of the Rings, good. Rewatch them. Hobbit, background noise. (laughs) Background noise. You can rewatch them. (laughs) Uh, So I don't know what we're going to be doing next. Something. All right, so uh, yeah, we're still broke and we're still nerds, and see you next time. Later.